Welcome to Teachers Are Heroes. Fun, creative, caring, enthusiastic. Role model. They make the world a better place. With your hosts, Adrian Swenson and Henry Godkin. All right, welcome back. Uh, this is episode. Wait, do you realize this is episode eight, nine, maybe nine? No, eight. Oh, it's unbelievable. It's flying by. Um, and somebody once told us that we needed to have seven. If you make it to seven, you've really made it in the podcast world. I feel like we're winners anyway, Adrian. Yeah, we're always winners uh, in life. So. And Carl, uh, Carl is our guest today. Carl Pachel. Yeah, we're really, really um, interested to to talk to Carl. Um, he is a you know slightly different teacher in that he's a much more sort of hands-on teacher as, as far as I'm aware like I'm sure we're going to learn more about it um through listening to him and um you know it's, it's kind of a change from what we do in the classroom um he's much more practical application which I I really like and and wish I had a bit more of at school so I'm super excited to hear his side of it and and see what what he's got to say really and this one would probably be better videoed but it's going to be a podcast so you're going to hear of us walking around a little bit Getting a uh, a show of all of his um, the motor the garage. Yeah, um, I think we go around. We're going to tour around his sort of workspace and stuff. Yeah. We're going to see the woodworking space, the metalworking space, the uh, the garage. I'm I'm excited. Unfortunately, you're going to have to kind of imagine, imagine with your ears. Exactly, and on that note, here's Carl Pachel. All right, uh, welcome in, Carl Pachel. Um, this is Henry, and uh, hello. Uh, yeah, so how's it going over there? Doing good, doing good. Uh, except for the fact that apparently America is the only place that has daylight savings time still. Uh, <laughs> so I was an hour early, but yeah. the, the Senate has voted unanimously to get rid of it, and so if the president signs it, we won't have to deal with this like. Losing an hour or gaining an hour anymore. So oh, really? Be when does that happen? Like a few days ago. Like oh, wow. Right after daylight savings time was right. reinstated. Everybody was just like, I hate this so much. And then <laughs> because when's ours? April. April something. Second. Yeah. Something? First weekend of April. Yeah. And it, it, sorry. It makes it really tricky when you're calling home and obviously over in the US as well. Because <laughs> you have to figure it all out. Yeah. Each, yeah. What time What time yeah. did they... Um, which one are they going to stay with spring forward or fall back spring forward so they're keeping daylight savings time oh, okay so then the idea would be that in the winter you probably wouldn't get sunrise until like 8 39 o'clock but then you would get sunset closer to 5 36 instead of 4 4 35 yeah. something like that yeah nice and nice. so if i could literally leave the school and have it be light out for an extra hour that I think that would be very, very mentally beneficial. I yeah, think so as well. Yeah, yeah, no absolutely. one cares about the mornings. You expect it to be dark, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm yeah. a morning We're person, but you expect it to be dark. In the it does suck, guys. Right. We're all miserable trying to just like get to work as is anyways. You could just yeah. be dark during that. <laughs> yeah. yeah so do, you know where, do you know where daylight savings came from? Uh, don't quote me. I just am trying to, I think it's something along the lines of like, trying to cater to agricultural and farming industry in the 1800s yeah was yeah. It yeah i think so something like that yeah with yeah. the harvest i i don't know i was just checking i was 
Seeing, seeing if you knew your facts right off the bat. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's something to do with Charles the Fourth of of England somewhere as well. Oh, but this could be all made up, yeah. so don't take that for fact here. Oh, I was just going to say, maybe this isn't the right interview for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, well, thanks so much for joining us, Carl. Anyway, it's really, really great to have yeah. you, especially with the whole <laughs> hour early <laughs> mojo. Um, oh, it's all good. I suppose we should jump right in and just just talk about a bit about you and find out a little bit about you and your your education and, and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, who are okay. you? Yeah, who are you? And sure, sort of absolutely your educational journey and, and just stuff like that, just to kick us off. Yeah. Um, so as Adrian said, my name is Carl Pachel. I actually grew up in Livingston, Montana, which is very close to Bozeman, where Adrian and I went to college. Uh, graduated Go in Cats 2008. Go. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, graduated in 2008 and went to school actually to be an engineer. Um, I kind of didn't really know exactly what I wanted to go into, but I liked the idea of having a progressive understanding of technology and helping. I think one of my inspirations was to help reinforce like bridge design. So civil was something that I was thinking about. Um, Henry, you might not know, but in 2008, there was a bridge that collapsed in Minneapolis. In yeah, Minneapolis, did you hear about this? Uh, no. And I don't think it killed anybody, but it was like, you know, pretty substantial that there was just a bridge that just failed. Yeah, massive. Um, it went a massive wow. one. I know the wobble bridge. Yeah, yeah. That's the only one I know, the one that wobbles. So that's the Tacoma Narrows. That was from like the 1930s. Yeah, yeah. And so this one was like very recent. And so I had an interest in civil through that. Um, I also had no understanding of mechanical, but was really interested to see like trying to get a better understanding of how things worked. And I also really enjoyed computer-aided design. Um, which is what you would use to create those types of machines. And my first semester in intro to engineering classes, I hated it. It was basically um, no knock on MSU's engineering program because it's excellent. But it was kind of their, their mantra in each of those intro classes was just to say, the next four to five years of your life are going to suck, but then you're going to make a ton of money working an office job um, once you get into industry, once you graduate. So like, once you get your degree, you have a guaranteed job, you will be making bank. Yeah. And that was, said that something like, sorry, I think they said something like the amount of money you make is like five times as much or something of, of Montana, just because of the engineering program, you just make so much more money. That's not exact right. value, but it's something like Montana state produces so much more money because they have those people that are going to civil engineering or whatever engineering program mm -hmm. so but yeah i can yeah. imagine those at the early days those those beginning classes uh because all everybody has to take them so math people have to take the same as the introduction to engineering it's like just pure mathematics and you just have to get through it and it's not really like fun you don't it's not really interactive unless you have a teacher that's an ex-teacher or something like that it's more of like straight on math and you just they don't care if you pass or fail they just rep you in right Interesting. Right. Yeah. So, um, so I ended up kind of taking that semester to ponder what I wanted to do. And, uh, I realized that I always really enjoyed math classes until I got to pre-calculus. And then right. that I was kind of my inspiration. Of the bridge that's, uh, 
fallen down. Oh, in Minnesota. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's uh, this is quite a. Sorry. Just. Oh, you're good. No, yeah. it's it's pretty fascinating. Yeah. Um. So then I I decided that I wanted to try going into mathematics education, largely with the focus on trying to be able to figure out how to better teach pre-calculus. And because that was just one I felt like I understood a lot of what mathematics was. I was always very engaged and I always really enjoyed it. And then pre-calculus was really tough. And then that kind of made calculus tough. But when I ended up taking calculus at university, um, that was when I really started to enjoy it. So I took calculus for a second time and it started to make so much more sense and just like how you can apply physics and science and all this understanding into calculus. And so I wanted to kind of pursue that a little bit more. And I still struggled with it. Not that I didn't enjoy it, but it was, it was very challenging. Um, just 19, 20 years old, taking calcs one through four, getting to differential equations and just motivation wasn't quite there. And um, so I ended up passing all of my classes, but I ended up getting a recommendation from my advisor at the time that my grades weren't necessarily good enough to be able to be a math teacher and get a job in Montana as a math teacher. They said the same thing to me, Carl, you know that? And look at us, we're still teachers today. <laughs> I wonder if you had the same advisor I did. I'm not going to say the <laughs> name because I still talk to that. Right. <laughs> they don't, they don't, they don't even, they don't even, um, they don't remember this conversation at all. I, it definitely stuck in my brain. So, yeah, I mean, it, and honestly, it's a part of my language, total crock of shit because it's like any, any rural area in Montana is desperate for teachers. Yeah. Like doesn't matter what GPA you have they're they're, aching for warm bodies and so yeah Yeah. um so i was recommended to go find an alternative and probably adrian you took the same path that i did as i actually sounds exactly the same (laughs) took the technology and society class yeah and one of my favorite conversations that i've ever had about technology was this idea that there are ethics behind technology and this is something I, I ended up getting my graduate degree a few years ago, but something I really hit hard um, during that time was doing research on the automated vehicle. And there's a, um, there's a catch-22 decision that the computer needs to make if there's ever a situation where it recognizes that it is put into a situation, like say if there's a pedestrian with a baby stroller that c- crosses in front of you, and there's a guaranteed going to be a collision and to kill the pedestrian, or there's a situation where the car will have to swerve into say either oncoming traffic or into um, other infrastructure that would then either cause harm or potentially even death to the passenger of the vehicle. Uh, yeah. So which that, that, let's just pause here. So what would you do if you were, if you were the computer and you had to um, decide between uh, killing some random passenger or yourself? Uh, well, with a baby stroller, you'd with a baby swear. stroller, you'd always, I think, right. I think even instinct to swear. No, but if you had to kill somebody, this is the hard part. This is what the computer <laughs> right, has right. to decide. I think, um, getting a little personal. I'm, I'm a workaholic, so I'm single. And 
And so I would probably on a personal note, try and set up some sort of contract based on the situation that I would sacrifice myself. Hmm. That's also wishful thinking. If I got in the moment, I might grab the steering wheel and like make a different decision for it. Yeah. They say that naturally Um, you swerve to the passenger side because it's the driver the driver so tries to save himself. Yeah, in subconscious. That's one of those studies that they found. But when you're drowning. So that's why, um, I don't know if you've ever seen The Office, but Dwight Schrute always sits behind Jim when they go to the thing because driver always tries to save himself. That's like <laughs> one of those theories that you, it's just subconscious. You sur- swerve to get you far away from yeah. danger. It's interesting because I haven't really thought about that with all this, like, you know, modern Tes- you know, the Teslas that drive themselves and things like that. You don't really think about these sort of elements. Well, I certainly don't. So... Yeah, that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, it's very it's very morbid, of course, but yeah, it is a bit, <laughs> but it's still very interesting. But I robot and when yeah. you know the, the the machine chooses the older guy because he has a larger uh, a more likely chance to live, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, over the little girl. Anyway, it's just weird to think. Just that's the part of the good thing about technology. Working with technology in general, though, is you you're trying to decide how do we make technology safe for people, right? It's like a, a, like the moral dilemma. Like, how do we make it safe, but also advance society, right? And have people understand it. So I think that's right. kind of what you're, you were getting at. Sorry, I just wanted to take mm-hmm. a detour there because I think that's a, I think it's an awesome little thing to think about all the time because no one does it when you're driving a car. You just, safe is choice. yeah, you're just driving a car and you don't know how it works, why it works. And then all of a sudden you're put in this situation where you might have to save yourself or save somebody else. And, you know, and right. And now you're putting that on a computer. Right. And counter argument to that entire theory is I feel like if there's ever a chance that you could protect someone from getting a DUI and making that horrible and horrendous mistake is far outweighs any of those philosophical dilemmas that you put yourself in. True. Um, so one of the things I tell my students is, God forbid, they ever make that type of mistake when they're students. I teach automotive as well, as you'll see in a sec. And that's one thing I hit hard. It's I would rather make the decision to end my life to protect someone else, knowing that this technology is preventing um, anybody else from getting killed in a drunk driving accident or yeah. anything. That's like really that. that's really I mean. It's not the main reason why, but it just makes it if everybody's has an automatic car, then everything should work perfectly because the human brain makes so many mistakes. Yeah. Like we were talking about the other day that traffic here is terrible in Auckland. And there was a really long line of cars. And Henry was like, well, let's just let those guys go. And I was like, but that messes up the flow of traffic because that's not how the traffic was designed. Right. So as soon as somebody does that once, then it causes chaos. Where like right. if everything was automotive or automated, then you wouldn't have that situation, right? Right. Imagine that every single car goes as soon as one light turns green. Yeah. Like just everything's moving. Like that would because that's what I think. Which about kind of gets into my right, and then that gets into like the industrial engineering aspect of it because then you're increasing your flow of traffic. Because there's literally like lightning speed reflex from these computers that could move traffic as soon as a green light goes. Like a car might start moving and the driver's just like panicking 
not understanding that the car is like recognizing the car in front of it to just like start moving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, yeah. or they so just they know that the light's going to change, so they just slow down, ready in anticipation. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, right. No, I've never thought of that actually. Yeah, like, I, all the cars at once going with just speed. The right. So, so you'll see me tailgate somebody else if I can see that there's a green light in front of them. Like I start getting closer and closer in anticipation that they're going to start moving, um, which just makes me look like a jerk because I look like I'm starting to tailgate somebody else in front of me. But I've I've recognized the fact that if the light is green, I should start moving. So, yeah, it's just um, one of those. It's also one of those things that just I think about it every time. My sister used to say it all the time. I'm like, why doesn't this work? And we when we talk about it, we'd always talk about like, if everybody just started moving, but you just, it's the reaction time. You see the next person. So then you react, then they react. Yeah, it's like yeah, chain yeah. reaction. And then all of a sudden you're miles you behind. Missed, you missed the next one. Every time I'm yeah, at that yeah. light in Auckland, <laughs> I'm like, just go. Why is no one moving? <clears throat> Sorry. That was, that was, I think that was a good little it's rabbit really hole. Really interesting. Yeah. So yeah, how yeah, does that yeah. help you? I'm sorry. I'm just going to change the tactics a little bit here. What, how does that affect how you're, you teach the kids? Cause, uh, how, how does that like how do you bring in like dilemmas like that into thought processes and stuff like that well so um spoiler i teach automotive here at the high school that i'm at and um i was going to get to that at, at some point when i give you guys your the tour but um one of the things that we really have to talk about is our curriculum is based on learning engine theory based on engines that we have. So we have like these tiny little, I'd say they're tiny, but they're like two foot cube cubic engines that are single cylinder um, that all run on carburetors. And the carburetor, if for listeners who don't know anything about engines would be what brings in the air and fuel inside the engine to then combust to create your power to get motion. So the carburetor is where your fuel comes from and you need to have a combination of air and fuel. Modern cars, I'd say cars from the last at least 10 years have all been fuel injected. So instead of having this device that has to like use physics to mix the air and fuel properly, there's just no, a computer that literally just has a spray nozzle that as soon as there's enough air inside of your chamber, you spritz a little bit of gasoline inside of it, it gets compressed and then you ignite it to get your power. And so that is extremely outdated, um, the carburetor is at least. And so then you kind of snowball on this idea of electronics in, in vehicles, and it's literally electronics are taking over everything. And so then once you get into fuel injection, well, then you think about, well, what about like hybrid cars? Like how do those work? How do electric cars work? And then so then you have to talk about the difference between gas powered motors and electric motors. And then that's where you get into the segue of like, everything is becoming so automated that we are having technology where you can keep your hands off the steering wheel or like your, your computer and your car will actually slow down for you. If it starts to recognize that you're not reacting in time. Yeah. yeah. Um, even something as simple as like, if you're, if you're drifting in a lane, You'll feel a, a rumble on your thigh of the seat telling you like, hey, you're, you're drifting too much. You need to get back in the center of your lane. Mm, true. Yeah. Um, and so all of those technologies are going to start taking over our curriculum probably in the next 20 years. And mm. so just having that that understanding of this is what's coming is really important for those students to understand. 
and just knowing that when they go through and learn about engine theory, that a lot of what we are teaching them is currently obsolete. Um, Mind you, we live in, we live in Montana where uh, there's still a really high demand for older style of vehicles, lots of diesel pickups, lots of, um, not to say that diesels are carbureted because they're all also fuel injected, but um, it's also that just it's like also the, that they can work it on themselves, right? Because th- that's the problem right. is that if you the the technology now, I think my friend and I bought a a car we call the shit box uh, together, and Daniel, I don't know if you ever remember him, but Daniel and I bought, and he's always like it only had four electronic things that came through, so you could really work on it as yourself. Where mm-hmm. now it's like. I think something like 40,000, you know, every little thing is fuel, I mean, um, computerized. And so you just can, if you, you can't work on it yourself. So I think that's also probably a reason why right, right. Montana, probably people want those too. Well, and so this might get a little tangential too, but um, there's <laughs> a lot of, there's a lot of issues with say uh, John Deere company, the tractor company got in a lot of heat because they installed a chip inside of their new tractors that said um, you need to have a hired technician to come deal with this chip in order for any sort of maintenance to occur. So if you're, you know, in the middle of the high line next to Canada and you have like, you have all the resources in your shops to fix this tractor, but then there's this random chip that's preventing you from repairing it. um, Then that's violating a right to repair law. And there's a lot of different legislation that's going around to say, like, once I buy a piece of equipment, such as a tractor, um, I should have the legal right to be able to fix it and repair it largely because, you know, we're John Deere may be trying to look for the wrong demographic to make a bit more money off of by hiring their mechanics to drive out to the high line to then fix one tractor that might take them two hours and then have to pay for all those travel costs and then pay for the professional development for that employee and that type of stuff. Um, So just all these different factors coming into the fact that like, as you were saying, Adrian, it's really hard to know how to work with computers. And so honestly, that's kind of to then roundaboutly go back into why I chose tech ed. Um, I'm very fascinated with computers too. (laughs) Um, And so the idea of being able to program a computer to interact with a tractor to then harvest crops in your field or deliver hay for cattle or anything like that is also another fascination of mine. Um, And so it took a a really roundabout way for me to get there. Um, But I ended up graduating from MSU with both my mathematics and technology education undergrads. And um, very fortunately ended up getting my first teaching job just outside of Yellowstone Park, um, teaching tech ed. And I, no desire to ever teach math. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, it's not so bad, but yeah. (laughs) Let's take a break in the action and listen to my memory moment as Henry and Jen are out celebrating Jen's birthday. So I will be, um, so happy birthday, Jen. I will just uh, describe my memory moment. I know some of you love the memory moments out there. Um, Would like to hear some of your memory moments. My memory moment this week is from my woodshop class. I made a moose and that moose stood outside uh, 
in front of our house from when I made it. I think I made it in seventh grade, and by the time I graduated high school, that moose was still in the same spot. So, my memory moment, I just want, I just want to think about how much fun I had making that moose. And uh, I hope you um, can think back about your time in, in a shop class or a mechanics class, and maybe just think back right now, this is your time, or maybe you didn't have that opportunity and you wish you did, so maybe you get out there and start a new class. Anyways, back to the show. Yeah, you're more hands-on, so it's it's a bit more it's a bit more practical, and I think I think that's more things we need to do these days. Anyways, I mean, even in the math classroom, we're talking we're trying to do more mm-hmm. hands-on stuff. But yours is actually like I can drive a car, or I can do woodwork, or I can do photography, and I need to know how all these things work. Oh yeah, right. right. So I think um, those, that tech ed thing you're talking about is, I think it's kind of a tricky because there's not very many people in our program was in our program. Like it just wasn't that many people because I don't think it was well known that what tech ed really did, like what tech ed right, is right. really like, I mean, a lot of people didn't actually become teachers through our things. They just became, they just used the, uh, as a stepping stone, the stepping stone for knowledge and, and like learning about cars. And we did, um, some, what's it called? Um, renewable energies as well. And we just did all sorts mm-hmm. of, it was like a little taster of everything. Right. In tech ed. And uh, right. it seems like you've gotten to explore it a little bit more. So um, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, to throw a little bit of shade at the way we teach math too. Um, like I, I think of geometry, for example, um, where we spend so much time theorizing about like the how, excuse me, maybe not the how, but like the why like triangles, for example, you go through all these different theorems, you go through all this really higher, like higher education in a freshman or like sophomore geometry class, learning about how shape, like why shapes do things the way they do. But then if you look around, um, like I was in a, a Mexican restaurant in Livingston last night, and I was looking at all the decorations and just seeing all the different geometry that was used to construct and to decorate like the tiling and the artwork and everything else. And that's just, that is where we could talk about geometry in say like architecture and art and design. And we just don't, instead we, we use these theorems and we teach these kids, like honestly, like research level mathematics in the first part of high school. And that's something that's really, really bothered me about the way we teach math. Well, I think so, I think you'd like it over in New Zealand. They they try to do a little bit more practicality kind of yeah. stuff. And I think I think what you're saying is true because they do say that mathematicians are the happiest people in the world. Like that's like one of the statistics. But I think it's because there's like 19 or something. Like, I, I remember my math history class. There's because there's like 19 pure mathematicians in the world or something like that 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 get paid for their job. Of course, they're the happiest yeah, people. Yeah, there are yeah. 19 of them. So it's kind of a tricky thing. You want to be able to. Because sometimes you do need to do mathematics for the pureness of it, just because it's there is no application. But there is application later on. But you have to understand those things. But to put, I mean, I completely agree with you, Carl. To you know, real life examples and 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 where you can use it, I think just allows students to you know really buy into what you're trying to teach them, rather than just right. saying, um, why am I doing this? Yeah, you know, I, I always try right. and give real life examples or or, or give them like inquiry and stuff like that to yeah. do because then they then they kind of buy into it a bit more would you would you kind of agree with that 100 percent. i actually dreamed up a perfect geometry and algebra 2 project that would incorporate 
um, a lot of what I do into a real life application and hit, I don't know about you guys for um, as far as like content standards are concerned, but I'm, I've got two very different perspectives where, you know, there's all of the math standards that have been imp- implemented with common core in the last 10 years in the States. And then I'm working in tech ed where we are still trying to develop standards, but they're so vague because we're certified to teach anything from like ceramics to coding. Yeah. To yes, there's, construction there's, to, there's no like specialty. You guys kind of, it's kind of like a broad thing. And then you kind of, yeah. Right. So then my idea was, is that the students would learn about architecture, they design a house, and then the math component would be, how much is it going to cost to build it? Yeah. And then they would go through and use their Algebra 2 skills to deduce, like, perimeters of housing, how much, like, volume of concrete you would need, how many two-by-six studs or um, two-by-four studs, how much drywall, plumbing, piping, electrical, roofing, siding. Like, if if they were engulfed in the entire process of building a house that would cover a lot of standards um in both and, geometry and and, yeah and algebra 2 and be very practical yeah yeah nice that's awesome so, so let's let's go let's let's go into it then like let's see what you got for us so let's carl's going to show us around the school and see what we have so so we have we'll, um we'll try and describe it to the yeah, yeah i'm excited to see so so you work in a, uh, is it a secondary or is it a university or high school? High school? Yeah. Sorry, I lost you guys. So I'm trying to figure out what happened to it. There we go. Um, so I'm going to start in the automotive program. We're looking at the west wall. So we've got a tool cabinet. And as I'm panning, you should be seeing four different bays. So you can see four different um like areas like garage doors for us to be able to put cars into and then there are four separate bays for kids to work in and then you should also see an assortment of different equipment that we use yeah yeah, yeah. that's amazing and then as, as i turn around you also will see um lo- all these large engines on stands you'll see a bunch of lockers and then on top of those lockers are those small engines that I was talking about. Mm-hmm. So if you can kind of just imagine that the small engines are the first year students, and then these bigger engines are the second year students. And then we really emphasize trying to get students to bring their vehicles inside the shops too. Um, so right now we've got an, an older um, Ford pickup. I want to say it's an it's so gotta be like F one fifty Ranger. Yeah. So this is actually a student. Yep. Um, so he ended up picking this up on Craigslist and is doing a bunch of work to it. Um, and you can kind of see that the shop is a total disaster. Um, <laughs> one of the things that the Auto Two students are doing is they're uh, trying to find a non-working engine on, say, Craigslist, and see if they can just repair it to the point that it will run again. That's cool. Um, so you're seeing lots of different parts over here. If you see in this corner over here, there's a snowmobile and a lawnmower and our poor go-kart <laughs> and all sorts of different tools. That's um, awesome. My, my, little, my nephew would have loved this because yeah, he, he, he hated sitting in a classroom, but 
He absolutely like loved James, working on things. Like my, my partner's brother, this would have been his dream, you know? Um, do you do you find, oh, yeah. Carl, that there's quite a lot of trust that you have to build with the students, you know, because you've got a lot of machinery <laughs> there that can be potentially quite dangerous? Yeah, so the way that we handle that is we do a lot of safety training. Yeah. And so we spend probably the first couple weeks, if not more, learning about safety. Because, like, as you can imagine, the the um trying to think of it the physical way of saying it the the potential energy of a car that's lifted off the ground yeah is enough to actually kill a student so yeah, like for example if i use this this lift pardon the noise good good sound effects I'm glad my mic is picking this up <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Trying to get to the one spot where you'll hit bang. Okay, so that is just activated locks. So now that the car can sit on those locks, this is the safest position. That process in and of itself is something that we need to teach the students um, to understand that if a car is relying solely on hydraulics to be up in the air, yeah. rather than like these sturdy beams that you see here, um, like on the inside of these beams, there's actually a locking device that this can sit. So the car is um, very structurally stable. But it's um, not on hydraulics yet. Mm -hmm. So then if they violate something like that, we are covered to the point where um, that would be something that we have taught via safety and they would be liable to like we would not be liable if something bad were to happen because they signed off saying, I know that I need to lift a vehicle to yeah. a lock, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a lot of documentation that's involved. Um, trying to think of some other things too. Well, and in America, you don't want to be, you don't want to be worried about getting sued and stuff like that, especially as a teacher. <laughs> yeah. Right. right. That's amazing. So, then that could, so cool. That babies. could be getting into uh, talking about like why we would do, like unions and that type of stuff in our department as well. Yeah. Um, so, wh wh but I, I don't really want to go there. So. Yeah. <laughs> so where do you get like funding for all this? Cause that, you know, that must be quite a sort of cost to sort of run. run um, like why don't, can you table that question? Cause yes, that's, yeah, that's, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, sorry. Yeah. 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 No, that's, that's actually really important. Um, but I'd rather do that in my office when I'm not like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, you've, so you've got all these different areas that work on sort of different aspects yep. of of um, you know mechanics, machine. Is this just is this just purely uh, engine based and 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 things like that? Or excuse my ignorance, but uh, no, you're fine. I you have to understand that I knew nothing about cars, and well, that's what I was gonna just say is that you also. Okay. So how do you um, how do you do that for yourself? Like how did you? How did you learn all this stuff? Because I feel like I'd be so out of place, right? You know, like uh, this is my fourth year of teaching it. So, yeah, like you just you learn on you get learn. to a certain point where it's kind of like you do enough. Um, as we crudely joke, it's monkey see, monkey do. So literally, I would just use my prep period to sit in on another teacher's class, mm -hmm. take notes, learn about what they were saying. And then when students would ask questions, I'd like write it down, go Google it when I got home, <laughs> do some research on that, come back, be like, this is the answer to that question that you brought up yesterday. But you also have to understand that a lot of, a lot of what you teach is something that you picked up a long time ago, yeah. just from by proxy of 
driving a car. You got to understand your audience is like 14, 15, 16 year olds that have like barely ever turned over an engine. So um, it's, it's pretty easy to get by for the first couple of years, but now getting to the point where it's like, I'm really starting to understand engine theory and wanting to learn more about how bigger engines work. Um, That's it's just become OJT or on the job training. Yeah. So, well, all, I suppose um, every aspect of work is should have that. You know, every everybody mm-hmm. should want to be better at what they do and and you know learn. We're always learning, aren't we? So, oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> um, so real quick, uh, I just wanted to show you trying to navigate, showing off. So like that that truck that you saw, this is a twin post lift. The one that I lifted earlier is a four post lift. Yeah, And then in the first bay over here, we've got one more twin post lift. Um, we also do have a lot of machines to do tire maintenance. So like if you wanted to switch out the treads on your um, winter tires to summer yeah. tires or vice versa, that's what this machine is. And then we've got another one of those over here. Is and then balance, this one so? is actually tire, bal- tire balancer. So that would make sure that your tires um, spinning at the appropriate like the appropriate weight distribution so yeah. you put little weights weights on, on it yeah yeah yep. that's why you um that's why you get wear and tear right i mean wear on the wrong places right if you're just not balanced right henry knows all yep. about that. yeah i had that problem <laughs> so then inside this room let me unlock this real quick because this is pretty cool this is where we keep most of our like specialty tools so you'll see a lot of like code readers so if you have a check engine light that turns on um, it'll spit out a code. Um, we also have tons of hardware. So like nuts, bolts, screws, washers. Like a of stuff. And we also have cleaning supplies. We have oils, lubricants, gasket makers. Um, this is all the hardware that I was telling you about. And then back here are some machines that we're still trying to figure out how to use. So like we have a, a lathe for your brakes um so like if your if your rotor is getting out of round then you could put it on the lathe to clean it up yeah yeah and then i'm going to go across the hall this is where our classroom is so like when we're watching videos or doing presentations on that like yeah. the theory of yeah. engines and everything else this is where the kids come cool this is a little less exciting but the shelf over here has some really cool parts so you can talk about like what the inside of a um catalytic converter looks like what the yeah, inside yeah. of your so muffler looks doing, like still doing practical stuff in the classroom based yep. you know you still yep. keeping it practical keeping it yeah awesome yeah i'm heading to the wood shop so i might cut out okay no um, also they haven't turned off the bells either so <laughs> <laughs> we're getting the full experience of yeah. bozeman high oh yeah this is cool Man, yeah. what are the, what so are then this is the wood shop. So classroom is built in to incorporate the wood shop. Um, you can see that we've got a lot of different machines in here. This one has kind of been going through some different uh, cleaning renovations the last couple of years, but we try to get about 25 students in here at a time. And I'm going to just try and walk through and talk to you about all the different machines that we have. Um, so these wow. two to start are probably two of my favorite. Um, if Adrian remembers, this is a CNC router. 
Oh yeah. Maybe. Um, so this is how you would use like G code or coding to then, if you can see like all of these marks that are in, on this, this oh, board yeah. down here. Mm -hmm. So imagine that this guy right here has a little uh, milling bit or it looks like a drill bit inside. Yes. And then this whole thing is on a gantry that moves back and forth. So it can it carve it out so you can whatever. Yeah. the letters and that type of stuff. Oh yeah, um, I, never, I never got to use that. They didn't allow me to use that. You didn't <laughs> use that? Uh, no, I, I I was in the class, but um, it was just you know you never you run out of time for all those things because it's just yeah. Is that similar to sort of how oh. a 3D printer would work? It uses coding and then yeah, exactly and opposite. Yeah. Have a break, guys, and we're going to talk to you about our sponsorship for this episode, which is books. Do you fancy a read? Do you fancy a wind down? Do you fancy a bit of you time? Well, do you know how that, what will help? Reading a good old fashioned book. Stay away from that TV. Stay away from the the outdoors. Oh, I guess you could read it in the outdoors if you wanted. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's nothing quite like the feel of a soft, silky, crisp book in your hands. And now back to the show. Enjoy. So this would be a a subtracting type process where a 3d printer would be an adding adding yeah, type process so um this is a really large sorry carl subtracting because you're removing you're removing it you're removing material yeah. yep yeah gotcha yeah so then you start with like like a sheet of mdf and then you carve what you want out and then you have wasted material outside of it yeah. so you have wasted material and sawdust but you also have scrap pieces um, whereas 3D printing, it's very minimal waste, where you pretty much the only thing that you would waste is potentially just um, any structural material. Yeah. So um, this is this is a uh, I want to say it's a 110 watt laser. Um, you'll see another one in my classroom that's a 60 watt. Um, so this is the same concept, except for on the inside is a laser instead of like a drill bit. So. Yeah, cool. And then if I keep moving, you're going to see all sorts of um, belt and disc sander combos. We've got um, oscillating spindle sanders. I got bigger belt and disc sanders over here. Um, along this row, we've got four different table saws. This one's actually my favorite because it's a sheet saw. So you can put an entire sheet of material into it and run it through. Are they the ones that like you lose your fingers if you're not? I mean, I know a lot of things can do, but table saws. Um, this they? one, yes. This one, yes. These other three over here are called saw stops, yeah, which are the ones that. where, like, you see the guy put a hot dog up to the. Oh blade yeah. 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 So, for nice. insurance, have three of those. Yeah. Um, so they're they're awesome. I. Uh, I'm pretty sure those came out when we were in tech ed, right? Those like came out like yeah. right then, yeah. Does sorry, I'm yeah. digressing slightly, Carl. Does that destroy the machine when the sausage, you know, if it, if a finger does it just potentially destroy the machine, but but it stops a finger being taken or yeah, let me show you. It's it doesn't destroy the machine, it'll destroy the blade. So what I'm don't do it, Carl. So if don't I don't do it, yeah, I don't need to see it. Don't do it. <laughs> oh god. No, it's not. No, I'm not going to cut my finger off. Don't worry. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> this is not how we wanted the podcast to go. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, I'm trying to see if I thought that these are a little bit easier to access. Um, but what you can kind of, I've got a, an I've seen videos of them. Room. Yeah. So there's actually, there's a break yeah. that like locks is in. installed. Yeah. And so as the blade is spinning, as soon as it like senses any sort of like fleshy or conductive material, it drops into this piece of aluminum and it stops it like within a 16th of a second. It's insane. And so, yeah. Oh yeah. They're super cool. They're amazing. Would that, would that, uh, would you have to replace the entire braking system once it does that? Or I'm just, yep. And the blade. Yeah. yeah. But it's yeah, better than, it means so, but, it's, but it's better than losing, you know, a finger for life, isn't it? You lose a blade. Right. So it's like we tell the kids it's either $150 or a several thousand dollar medical bill. Oh, yeah. True, true. Yeah. yeah, yeah true. I mean, yeah, I'm just a, that I'm would just be covered in America. I mean, that'd be covered in anywhere but America. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, right, right. Yeah. Right. So then what I kind of missed behind me is we have uh, six of these lathes. And so that would be like you would actually spin a piece of wood um, orbitally. And you would, you would use two pinchers to hold it together. And then you use tools to, to shape it. So if you imagine like a baseball bat, those were made on wood lays. Yeah. Um, got wood storage back here. I've got some other different projects. Um, we're currently piloting a guitar building club. And nice. so we've been working with this program through the national science foundation that incorporates like has guitar building curriculum that incorporates mathematics science and technology and engineering so that's pretty cool that's awesome um i got four four band saws also have two miter or sliding compound miter or chop saws however you want to call it and a couple drill presses and then a couple um i'd love to show my my uh, my uh, fiance's brother is a cabinet maker. I bet he would love to just see this. So oh yeah, this is this is paradise. It's yeah. so <laughs> this is top of the line stuff. <laughs> yeah, um, one of the projects that I'll talk about later is this is a first year woodworking project. These are called intarsias. Yeah. Um, so you, one of the questions that we had talked about was like, what are things that students do, um, and so love to hit on the uh differentiation subject that you guys had on one of your other episodes because oh, yeah. a lot of the students will design exactly what what they want to which yes. means that you know you're catering to what they would like to make they're invested in it right. they, yeah. they're more like yeah, yeah absolutely all right so that's that's woods um one thing that i did miss is there's also a staining room back here so um that we can deal with those harsh chemicals in a very safe process. So kids will be using gloves. Um, if it's really nasty, we'll do respirators, but that's that's a whole different ball game because that yeah, yeah, yeah. like those need to be regulated and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so next room. Wi-Fi. So I teach automotive, but I also teach engineering. And it's kind of a mess in here right now because I'm in the middle of having students work on uh, automated marble sorting machines. So they're using cardboard, which you see over there. Yeah. 
um, cardboard that I recycled, and then they use electrical components that they program on these computers to then create a machine that will sort marbles. So, um, I got a couple different examples. These ones are all black, but we'll have black as well as clear. And they need to figure out how to put them in two separate bins. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So that, yeah, so we, we end up using light sensors to figure out how to how to sort both of these. So they'll get where's my hand? There we go. So they'll get two different marbles. Um, they'll also get something called a servo which are these little kind of motor devices. And we end up programming them through something called an Arduino. So the Arduino would be hooked up to a light sensitive item called a photoresistor. And the photoresistor tells the servo what direction to move based on what color marble is coming up next. Yeah, nice. So this Very is kind of like our- So cool. Yeah, so this would be like our CAD engineering program. So. Um, that's actually a pretty good shot. So that, that red machine is my laser engraver. So it's a smaller one. You'll also see this orange machine here. That is a resin 3D printer. I also have another 3D printer there. And all of these machines would have access to be able to uh, either make or print something on those machines. So, and then you can kind of see, we also, um, do some intro engineering classes. We also teach architecture. And then this year I'm also piloting a digital electronics class. And um, so we're learning about basics of circuits, basics of all the electrical components, um, that kind of stuff. I totally forgot about this thing. Um, Adrian, you'd, you'd appreciate this. This is Oh yeah, baby. An NES controller that I 3D printed. I designed this myself when I was student teaching and then printed it on. Yeah. Is that a Super Nintendo or is that a... Uh... No, that's OG Nintendo. <laughs> so that's Nintendo Entertainment System. Yeah, but, cool. Um, and, so uh... yeah, that's where, this is where we do a lot of like CAD work and that type of stuff. So here's a close-up on my 3D printers. So that's the orange um, Form Labs resin printer. I also have kind of a traditional 3D printer here. And um, I have a few other machines that are in the room next door. So, so well, and then don't, don't mind my wall art too. I don't really <laughs> like traditional classroom art. So I just started printing all of my favorite music albums <laughs> and just sticking them up i don't know if the kids like it any better but i have i like it a lot better yeah it's all about comfortable environment i'm just yes. really jealous of like to, honestly the, the the access the students have to the equipment is is unreal you know it's just yeah i mean you know as you probably heard uh in the earlier podcast that you listened to oh you know i was at a private i gotta show you the welding shop real quick oh yeah go on then yeah yeah oh, we can have a quick look at it um, yeah, sweet. So this is this is an entire another like section that we do, and then I'm not showing you the photo lab because that'll take like 20 minutes for me to get there. <laughs> yeah. um, so there's welding booths, there's the classroom back there. There's also a lot of different metal manufacturing 
um, tools back in there too. So, and then this room that I'm walking in between now has Adrian. I don't know if you took the. Uh, oh, these are metal lays, are they? This is all. Yep. Metal work. Yeah. I never took it because I, yeah, I just didn't have time. But. Yep. And then we also have uh, that baby. That's our Tormach, which is like if you see anybody like manufacturing tiny little metal objects, they do it on that. Oh yeah. Oh, okay. so, just the just the facilities are insane. Well, yeah, like the facilities. It's interesting because we talk about equality and equity and in in, yeah. in in quite a few things as well. Like, but like because you're in a university town, you get a lot of the stuff fallen because you have a, a testing environment because you have all the student teachers, you have all these people right next to you. You know, yeah. so you get you have to have this awesome facility. You don't have to, but you get to have this awesome facility because you're probably near a university where you know, small town Montana or small town anywhere doesn't have access to, you know, these kind of machines, right? Or am I? Uh, honestly, <laughs> the tech ed program pretty well got pushed out by a lot of other colleges that were exploding and there wasn't necessarily as high of demand. So you see that the on the university aspect, the labs have shrunk quite a bit. And then the shops in like all the rural schools are very comparable to what you see here. Um, but this is very, very indicative of just Montana though, because yeah. Montana has been very much industrial for as long as we've been having these types of programs. Yeah. Um, so the push has always been to make sure that we keep, keep those shops, keep small engines types type curriculum, teach welding, teach, woodworking and construction. Um, and then in the last 10 years, we've seen a downturn in the number of teachers that we put out, which means that a lot of those programs just become storage. Yeah, true. Um, mm -hmm. Or they get turned into like a maker space, which is, you know, which is good, but you don't get as much hands-on with maker spaces. Yeah. yeah. I think I think the hard no part is you like as a kid when i was a kid i did woodworking and i loved it but then um my friends stopped doing woodworking so i stopped doing woodworking and you know it's kind of just a trend that's happening it's like less hands-on but want more things so like right are you seeing a a, a boom in more people joining because it sounds i mean like you have the space for a lot of people yeah, right so awesome. do you have is it, it it seems like trades are going up higher like it's becoming more of a cool thing again uh, where I don't think it was so much in the early 2000s, but maybe I'm just speaking out of turn. I don't know. Yeah, it's. I don't have any like data to spout off right off the top of my head, but kind of the trend that we're seeing, especially with the pandemic, is that we have a pretty intense work labor shortage. And yeah. all of us trades teachers are really trying to push for um, instead of going straight into a four-year program, try and find something different in an effort to help with that labor shortage. But also um, I have a really high personal concern with our students and the amount of student loan debt that they are accruing. Mm. And so I try and find students that are on the fence instead of pushing them to just go to college and spending $20,000 on a year's worth of school to then realize that they don't like it. Yeah. Um, to either take a year off or try different apprenticeship opportunities. Um, 
because if you're thinking about just the house project, not only is there like the design of it and the material costs of everything, but you got to think about all the professionals that need to go in to make sure that that's well, well established. You need electricians, you need um, plumbers to get all of your plumbing taken care of. You need constructors to actually physically build the houses. You also need carpenters to install cabinets or install like um, in-house furniture and you also need tons of other labor for all the drywalling, for pouring concrete, for roofing, for landscaping. Um, and it's, it's and those are all yeah. I was, yeah, I was those are say, all it's, it's interesting because there's loads of jobs now that are being taken over by technology. You know how we were talking about technology earlier, whereas a lot of these trades mm-hmm. that you're talking about, you're not really you need people to do that, don't you? Right. You know? And so. Yeah, I mean, there's still somebody that has to do this stuff yeah, if we're going to use it, right? Yeah, so, yeah. so important. What are we? What are you like? So, what are you experiencing, guys? Like, how how many people on of those people that are going on the fences? Like, how many actually listen listen to you, or you know, because I would say it's maybe single digit number of students that we put out in certain trades every year. Yeah, maybe right. um, we very largely there's a there's just a social push for students in Bozeman to go to college mm-hmm. and and that's just it's kind of global and it's something that I like to talk about a lot is our education inflation because we push students to go to college but now we have tons of people with uh, undergrad degrees so then to try and get the next step then you get your master's and then you're finding um young adults in their early, early to, or excuse me, early thirties, late twenties that have master's degrees that don't have any sort of hands-on work experience. Um, and then, so if we can do a better job of trying to push more for like two-year programs or apprenticeship programs, um, there's a very different avenue to make as much, or if not more money than to get an actual graduate or undergraduate degree. Um, so something niche, like what we do, for example, though, that's kind of an anomaly because if you're going to be a teacher, you have to get a four-year degree. Yeah. Um, I think, I think it's crazy to think though, is that, uh, you know, like I was saying, I liked, uh, woodwork and I enjoyed it. I loved it hands-on stuff, but then I kind of went away with it, but then now I'm older and I'm like, man, I wish I would have taken it more seriously because I really enjoy working on my bike, but you know, or whatever even on the car like i like building the inside of the van you know like these little things that i think you the problem is i think from ages 14 to 18 it's not a cool thing to do and i think people are missing out a lot because i think they're finding it they they actually want to do this when they're 22 23 24 but they've kind of cut their options off early right maybe maybe you're not finding that arm but how do you do you find Um, that I wouldn't say that it's not necessarily not cool. It's more. Um, it's not pushed by social norms, would you say? Like, right, right. And so as much as like we try to make sure that we try to have like this cool aspect of kids wanting to be in the shops, there's there's a very, very large philosophical shift that needs to occur where we aren't trying to drive our young students to be college bound, but rather be understanding and accepting that an 18 year old that gets an electrician's apprenticeship 
is probably going to be $250,000 better off than someone who enters a four-year program. Yeah. And that's just from 18 years old, they're working and then they work towards their licensing. And then once they become a full-fledged apprentice or like a full-fledged journeyman, then they are making so much money at that point. Whereas like, say if I was an industrial engineer that ended up working for Microsoft, I might be making 80,000 to $100,000 a year, but then I've accrued four to five years worth of student loan debt being in the States. And then I'm inheriting a lot of other expenses too. Um, Whereas a six-year electrician had been making money from day one and the demand for electricians is skyrocketing because of um, material shortage and labor shortage and everything else that's following up from the pandemic um so, so what you're saying so, is to all our young listeners go into a trade <laughs> yeah not you can make university. a lot of <laughs> yeah i mean that is yeah. certainly something that i i i mean i enjoy my job and i love teaching and all of that but if i went back i would definitely you know university just accrued so much debt for me and okay yes i'm teaching now and and whatever but i do wonder whether because i love hands-on stuff i love all of that oh yeah i wonder if i'd man if i'd been more pushed into that direction and earlier when we got put off you were talking about how your school oh well yeah my school was i mean tom who we interviewed in the last episode we talk about how my school it, it was expected that you should go to university and if you don't go to university then there's something wrong with you or you know you're almost perceived as maybe stupid if you know what i mean you know you're almost like a and that has taken me to go into adulthood and go through university to realize that that is just such a, just such a poor way of looking at it, you know, but unfortunately they right. were a, a private school and they were a business. And in their eyes, the more students they got to go to university and certainly a high level university, the better their stats looked and the more likely they were going to get people from outside coming in. It's just, it's such a, such a horrible way to look at it. I mean, I love my school and I had a great time there, but it really is. You know, but I you didn't say, have that kind of stuff. Oh, that, those facilities. Don't we? We had woodworking and metalworking. I recognise some of those machines, but nothing to that extent. Yeah. You know, and and, and mm-hmm. the, the pupils were paying. Well, the parents were paying large sums of money for the kids to go to that school, and but it was it was more academically driven. Yeah. You yeah. know, it wasn't that 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 side of it was like, oh well, we're. We're trying to build a holistic child, so we're going to let them have access to these things. And there is a small access to it, but it was more, you know, now we're going to we're going to pump out the mathematicians, the doctors, the lawyers, you know, those, yeah. those sorts of things, which just, yeah, I found but I, think- I find frustrating now. I look at your what your what you've just shown us, and I'm like, wow, that is, you know, what what an amazing things those kids that you're teaching have, you know, yeah. Just, facilities and do you do you ever find yourself sorry to cut yeah, you off right, just, do you ever find that sometimes you just want to say to the, the the students that you teach like you've no idea what you've got in front of you <laughs> yeah. like do you do you ever have that moment uh well so that's kind of borderline getting into that equity versus equality yeah yeah, yeah 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 um and that's that's something that we are dealing with in our district as well um just a lot of people wanting to make sure that we're using the appropriate verbiage when we're talking about, you know, making sure that we're putting the word privilege in the right context, not making sure that um, 
we're undermining our students who do well and um, while also keeping focus on our students who still need help. Um, so <clears throat> you kind of get into some trouble if you, if you like explain, you know, how good that they've got it when we have the infrastructure that we do. Okay. So we're trying to just compare it by saying it's kind of the Taj Mahal of wood shops. Um, yeah. That was actually something that another group of teachers came and did a workshop here in our, our facility. And that's what every like instructor had to say was like, this is, this is not, this is very atypical. Like this is an yeah. amazing workspace. Like don't get overwhelmed by what these guys have been able to keep. Yeah. Um, and a yeah. large, I think a large portion of why we're still able to succeed is that the students do actually recognize what all is available to them. And our classes are filled pretty regularly. Um, and I think also, we very, sorry, I was just going to say is that the people, we don't know what the, by going back to that privilege thing, I just don't think we should jump over that yet. So like, we don't know what the kids at home have, like this is, yeah, they have this at their school, but they don't have any other options. This is the district that they live in and where they live. So like, this is, we don't know if they're actually privileged to be at, cause they, this is the stuff that's already at the school. They have nowhere else to live. They have nowhere else to go. We don't know what, how much money their family earns, you know, yeah. like this is a public school. So you're not paying to go here. You get to go just based off of being living here. So we don't know if that technically, if they're privileged or not, like, but I think it's amazing that they get that. Oh yeah, yeah definitely. But public, but I'm just saying yeah. is that we don't know the privilege that they have. While they do have this off, awesome stuff, this isn't privilege for them because they, yeah, don't, yeah, you yeah. just don't know what their life is like yeah, or, yeah. you know, the areas right. they live in. So. I mean, I was I was privileged and I didn't have something like that. Yeah, just it was just in a different. It was just a different um, ethos. You know, it goes back to that sort of social. What what does society perceive as important? You know, and in in the society that I kind of was brought up in going to university was seen as important. Yeah. whereas actually i think we all know that it, it isn't necessarily you know um right hey guys just remember if you're enjoying this podcast or even if you're thinking it's average to poor please don't forget to like subscribe and share because it really helps us out and rate it even if it's poor a poor rating is better than no rating <laughs> so but i mean obviously we'd love the five stars but we can't ask for five stars because that's a bit cheeky i think yeah but i mean if you want to rate us go for it five stars baby see ya i, I well I, I mean i don't know if you guys agree with that but i certainly do <laughs> yeah. you know just people are going to university in the uk for just so they can get a degree and it you end up with all this debt mm -hmm. and stuff like that and you know i think doing what you're teaching learning what you're teaching and things like that can can have so many more benefits like you're saying you know electricians can you can earn so much more yeah. and, you know, yeah. like and I think that's where we need to put in another idea is that you can make a ton of money doing other things not just being a lawyer you know yeah you, you can you work with your hands I think it's the this is a, another bad generalization I think but a lot of times you see these old tradies that are grumpy and old and their back hurts and their feet hurt and you know and so that and they put that in the movies like it's it's yeah. in the movies yeah. that this, this guy's an old grumpy guy it's because he's a tradie but really it's He's probably just a grumpy guy rather than rather than it's a, gr the, a, a grumpy guy driving a Mercedes. Yeah, dr yeah, a grumpy <laughs> guy driving a Mercedes. But there's grumpy people and lawyers, you know, like there's no, all these, yeah, these, yeah. these things that we just we we perceive because of the media or whatever. But we don't actually yeah. 
because those people there's tons of happy people love just working out with the woodwork mm-hmm. and you know like they, they just love their job and and i think that that's kind of hidden in well I've, I've got an anecdote to kind of support that theory though because we ended up getting a new teacher in the automotive field or our automotive classes this year and give you some context we just opened up our second high school in 2020. Um, so now instead of just there being one high school in Bozeman, there's now two. And we ended up hiring a guy um, through a very roundabout licensure through what's called a class four. Um, and he is teaching five sections of auto mechanics after having spent the last, I want to say, 10 years working for Subaru. And so he was a mechanic for Subaru and ended up getting like into the higher ups. And um, I'm not sure if he was on management, but he, he was a really solid mechanic and just got to a point where he was starting to have aches and pains from the job. Mm. And then he ended up getting connected. His wife is a math teacher with um, at the new school. And so he ended up getting some connections and ended up hiring on with a class four license. And now he's our automotive instructor and he's doing incredible job. And I think that's, that's honestly a very, very important pathway that we don't have in a lot of our education programs is to have someone from industry who either wants to be done with whatever they're doing. Like imagine if you had a history teacher who was a lawyer for 20 years, or imagine if you had a math teacher who was a statistician for some company for, or like a data analyst or something like that for however many years. And you just get to be able to take that experience and bring it into a relative sense. And that really, I think has been really important for our automotive program because you saw like the students are just, pulling random engines apart, just pulling things apart to learn about how it works, how it's put together. And then with the goal of putting it back together and having it run. One of my favorite projects is a student actually has a Subaru and it's a Subaru Forester. And if you notice and know anything about Subarus is one of the first things to go out are usually um, something to do with the engines where their heads, the engine head starts to get warped, which means that you usually need to do a head gasket replacement, which is a really, really intense labor job. But uh, our auto guy's done so many of those that he's just like, yep, yep, you're doing that here. We can do it. Not a sweat. (laughs) So the kid's like literally ripping the engine out of his car and the frame is just sitting out in the parking lot while um, they took that, that engine block to a machinist to re resurface um, those cylinder heads and everything else. So then that kid can then come back and put in new gaskets and get all of his fluids back in and put his engine back Amazing. together. Do you, um, oh, do you find you're standing there just being like, this is cool. This is cool. I mean, you're oh, yeah. I, like this is cool. Yeah. <laughs> the kids, the kids are less intrigued than it, than I am about it. Cause I, I walk in and I see that one student working on his car and I'm like, I, would not have any idea how to get started on that. So yeah, yeah. Uh, props to you. Yeah. It must um, be cool to, to, to work with something like you were saying, you learn on the job and you, you know, obviously you've been doing it for four years now and you've got a wealth of knowledge, but to have someone like that come in and you're able to then bounce your, you know, 
because he's he's been in the industry and not really taught much whereas you've taught more so you've kind of can bounce off each other but that's quite nice to you know yeah support each other yeah we really lucked out with this hire i'm learning so much (laughs) just from being inside of that shop for the last four to five years so yeah, it's um, amazing. Well, it's like Ake on our yeah. previous episode that he talks about. He's a basketball coach, and now he's going back to teaching. It. And we need more of those people, like you're saying. Like this guy did ten years of automotive. Yeah, like we need more of those people because then they have the experience to make it project based learning and actually make it not just project based learning because they don't know what they're doing, but also they know what they're doing, so they can yeah. you know design something and and give people. Because I mean, I always knew I wanted to be a teacher. I was going to be a teacher, like. I just love, you know, just being at school, learning and stuff like that. But there's other ways to become a teacher and and practical application is yeah. just a great way to do it. So do you find like so four options for people like after school, after they've taken your automotive class, um, you know, you're you're saying you could take these um, internships and stuff like that. How do you how do kids get set up for that kind of thing? So do you give them is there someone that comes in and speaks or is there I don't know. Yeah, we we have the entire gamut, especially through automotive. Um, so we have a lot of different dealerships that will work with us to try and get 16 year olds to come just do tire changes and help do oil changes. A lot of um, low skill type work just to get their foot in the door to see if they would want to become a mechanic. Um And then once they get closer to their senior year and wanting to graduate, we end up allowing a lot of different people to come in to kind of talk about what what to expect and what they potentially could do. So um, right out the the gate, once they graduate, they could do entry level work as a mechanic. There's also um, different associates level programs or certifications that they could go to. So um, there's a a university in Wyoming called WyoTech, which is very automotive driven. So it's a nine month program where they could uh, learn anything from being a like basic mechanic to um, learning more about performance type vehicles to interior to design. Um, I don't know if they have a diesel tech program, but there's a lot of different sects of automotive that they can learn and get into. Um, and then those would give different job opportunities once they get that certification. We also have different two-year universities come in and talk to us. So there's the, um, I'm forgetting about what the, the college is called. Gallatin? Not, Mon- not Montana Tech. And it's not Gallatin. It's up in Haver. Oh. Um, oh, they have Northern, no? Yeah, Northern. MSU Northern yeah. does... Yeah does a lot of different programs. I know for a fact that they do have a diesel tech. They also have incredible welding programs and that type of stuff. So there's some students who end up getting picked up and go to school there. Um, There are sometimes four-year programs. And then we also still um, allow the Army National Guard to come in and do a little bit of recruitment as far as um, they have a base in Helena uh, where they could work on helicopters, they could work on all-terrain vehicles, um, and a lot of different mechanicing t- type stuff. So we present all of those those situations to the students just to kind of, you know, at least let them know what's available. Yeah, I think so, you said it was nine months. Like that's crazy to me that 
Like it took me five years to get my math and tech ed minor. Not because I, well, well, doesn't matter why it took me so long, but nine months to get a whole thing about mechanics and, and, and how, like, you know, I know you don't have to know exactly how much it costs, but it's probably much cheaper than a degree. Not really. No. Uh, if you were to go to Wyotech, I want to say it was 90 grand for those nine months. 90 grand. Um, $90,000. But you're making so much more right off the bat, right? Because of, and you can right. work right and early. So, right? Yep. And then, so when they, you have to understand too, is that if they make that decision to go get that, that certification, those nine months are eight to five, one hour lunch break, just doing classes and then working on vehicles. So it's like all day, every day. It's not Tuesday, Thursday classes. It's not like an 18 credit load, which um, is 18 hours in a week. It's like 40 hours of this is what we're doing for the next body for money. (laughs) Rather Mm -hmm. than my, yeah. So it's it's, nine hours of contact time a week before, (laughs) yeah, however much it was. (laughs) Right. So then it's it kind of they have a, a lot more debt from the start, but say if they get into diesel mechanicing, there's a really high demand for diesel mechanics, which means that they could probably be making six figures at 19 years old. Um, yeah. That if they be- find the right situation, like if they're in a big city or like a very rural area, that's really high demand. Um, yeah. It's like, it's, it's a, a lot specialty. easier to find job. You have a doctor, like New Zealand has this problem where there's shortage on all, a lot of, these kind of things as well like they don't have what well, they just the country is designed for way more um an economy that has way more people but we don't have enough people to supply all these things so we have like an engineer one engineer <laughs> i remember i think i read this article that said like there's one engineer every 90 miles or something like that or 90 k so he has to go to all these places yeah and he's in high demand and he can kind of be like oh it's my weekend. I'm just gonna. So if he doesn't work, then you know that's not going to get fixed till the next day. So to get him to come out, you can kind of charge whatever. So those people that are in those rural places probably not that you want to take advantage of people, but you make your own hours, you make your own time, you you're in charge of what you yeah. charge for and what you do, and and so it's just because we need those people, it kind of puts you at an advantage if you're in those industries to to actually. Uh, make a lot of money or you know help help do some do some good with that thing if you want to do that if because not it's not always about money but it's all also about learning about these different things in different communities mm-hmm. and part of community even and but people and then you're 19 years old right you, you don't even have you know so 19 20 yeah. where i graduated when i was 23 and then i still had to go do a beginning teacher and then i had to work my way up where the, these guys can kind of just jump right in into tradies so wow yeah it's amazing it is amazing yeah it's is this like this project-based learning? Because we going back to way back before, I don't even think the listeners knew, but you talked about how you had attention deficit disorder. So mm-hmm. this this is a really good thing to be hands-on. And, um, you know, it keeps you busy. And and like where you're sitting in a, in a classroom would cause, cause maybe you to, you know, I don't know, bounce around a little bit. Yeah. Do you find this, do you find this type of learning would support people better with, sort of maybe ADHD and stuff like that rather than sitting classroom based. And how did it help you kind of? Yeah, I, I've actually found that I have 
after having been officially diagnosed as attention deficit at 32 years old, I'm, I'm kind of an open book about that too. So I, you know, if I'm space casing for the day and I just admit it to my students, like, Hey, I'm out of it. I'm at or almost not be working for me right now. So I'm, you know, make light jokes about it, but then it's really like the students then feel comfortable that I'm talking about those same things. Yeah. And I'm finding that I have a lot of students who are attention deficit, either hyperactivity or not. Most of them are ADHD and they find that having like that very, like driven focus, stimulating project is very, very beneficial for them. Like if you remember those, those woods projects, the intarsia projects, it's all those little tiny woods pieces put together to make uh, an artwork basically. And, you know, the task of like having this one piece that I need to go like cut out on a bandsaw. And then once it's cut out, I need to go shape it using a sander. And then I need to detail it with sandpaper. And I have to do that 12 times to then make my piece. And you can very clearly see your, your progression. Whereas like a lot of other classes, students don't see like the progression as much as the teachers do. You know, it's just like, oh, I didn't get an A on this test. I need to study harder. And then I got my A on this test. So now I can slack off a little bit more. Whereas um, it's almost instant gratification in the woodworking. Is that what you sort it of- It can be. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And then it also, it's a really, really different roundabout way of thinking once you get into something like auto as well. Because you'll like take apart a small engine, put it back together, and then it won't start. And it's like, you're getting a zero right now. You better take it apart and like figure out what happened. And then, so then they have that, like that ability to be persistent and like have a lot of focus and energy to just like understand, like this engine's not going to start unless I take it apart, figure out something that went wrong and then put it back together. So it helps solidify all the things that we've taught them. Um, and it teaches them more about problem solving as well. And that's something that in my, my experience with attention deficit is I um, have the ability to be very, very stimulated and focused um, when I want to be, but then in something where it's like not necessarily engaging, I really struggle with, I get very distracted by, um, you know, phones going off or getting distracted by rustling papers or two people having conversations. So you can imagine college was actually really challenging when you have your first 200 person chemistry lecture, because there's just so many like tiny little distractions and then having cell phones on top of it. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. just hard to focus. So, I thought, um, yeah, I find it really interesting that you talked about how to be open with your students. That's something I, you know, with my dyslexia, I always tell the kids and I just, I I find just like you were saying, such a positive outcome from it. Some people have said to me, Oh, you, you tell your students, you know, Oh, like, Oh yeah. I'm like, absolutely. You know, I just feel it makes it so much more personable for them. They can, some of them might be able to relate to you. I really, that really hits on something for me. Um, from a teaching aspect so I'm just digressing. No, no, that's... I, I really find that so I think it's so important not only to just talk about it but also to make kids realize that yeah okay I've got faults you know I'm not I'm not a, I'm not perfect and actually this is how I'm dealing with them and not necessarily the kids who have dyslexia or ADHD but there'll be other kids in there going oh I have faults too and yeah, that's okay you know I think it's so important 
um mm-hmm. certainly something that wasn't really around when i was a kid yeah definitely not it was, right. it, it, that's why i kind of started this podcast because i was thinking like teachers are other people and they have they have all the problems that or or that you know like they have all yeah. the hobbies that y- that you have or more probably and so it's like why mm-hmm. why we, we need to learn about people and just realize that they're not just teachers they're not just lawyers they have these faults just like everybody else yeah. Yeah. And I think it's so important yeah. the honesty that we have. How we're like, dealing with them, and, and yeah. yeah, no, it's amazing. And yeah, it's it's. It, I mean, I just think it's so important that we also don't forget about these trades, and and that these people are also people, you know. So it's like these people have feelings, and they have hobbies, and they they want to learn, and they want to do these yeah. things that they really like, and and you know, a lot of people get jobs to just pay the bills, and I think, but I think a lot of times the tradies. And trade, we call it tradies here in New Zealand. So I don't know. I'm not trying to be offensive to anybody if I'm saying that. But tradies in general is that you're hands on and you're doing something that you really love. Yeah. Where not all people, sometimes you don't have the option to do something that you really love. But these pathways also allow you less, less years of to get the qualifications. And you also get to, you know, start right off and do things. And also that, your logical thinking and your critical thinking is probably going to be higher than yeah. people. In oh, yeah. To be honest, you know, yep. um, and that's actually something that I could talk about in part two is how that goes into grading practices, too, because I've kind of started to adapt this idea that um, I don't necessarily want to grade students based on like a test, but whether or not they actually can achieve something. So, like, were they able to successfully disassemble and reassemble an engine and have it start? Yes. A plus. Yeah, yeah cool yeah 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 like there shouldn't be any other like descriptors besides that like um for those the marble sorting project in my engineering class did it achieve the goal yes a hundred percent it's like so then because that's what you see in life you see engineers that develop an idea and they have an awesome solution so then they get you know then that segues into them creating a business and then being able to have a company and everything else. And we forget that all of the trials and tribulations that maybe they didn't actually publicize, you know, like whether they had terrible materials or didn't have the right shape or anything like that when they're creating certain things. Um, And so that's, that's something that I'm trying to assess on is not necessarily you know, did they get it perfect the first time or did they come in and take the time to get it perfect on the 15th time? Yeah. And so someone who suffers from ADD or ADHD, it's if they just need extra time, then they should be awarded that. Yeah. Yeah. They did. They do something like that here in New Zealand, but I like where they give you extra time and stuff. But I also think it's important that you give that person another, another try, because if I, if I make one mistake, as long as it's not hurting anybody, why don't I get another try? Like sometimes teachers, maybe you just, maybe you just had an off day. Yeah. Just had an off day. Didn't want to do it that day. And it's hard to give someone a grade when it's really just, yeah. It's like, come on, just give them another chance. Like sometimes in my, they're like, we gotta, we give these things called resubs here. So they get a second chance to do well on a, a math paper or whatever. And Sometimes the other teachers are like, well, why did they get a second chance? Yeah. I'm like, well, how long did it take you to learn this concept? Did you just learn it right off the bat? Yeah. I know you're an expert now, but we have to remember that people, people forget and people but need to try it. But in my day. Yeah. No, that, yeah. 
So I think uh, we'll just ask you one more question, uh, and then we'll come back for part two here. A couple There's months. So we'll many get... more things. That so we, so many more things. Right? <laughs> you said you were a workaholic at the beginning, and uh, do you find how, how do you relax? How do you yeah? How do you, how do you work that work life balance? Um, I'm, it's still in <laughs> you <progress>. don't. <laughs> Uh, so th- you're kind of catching me on like one of those spring semesters where you just get a little bit too involved and it's just, there's really not much to do besides just continue working on it. So hence why I'm at school on spring break, a part of, part of my rejuvenation is having this ability to sit and clean and work on projects yeah. and organize. Um, cause I'm in the middle of probably a five-year process to, get this engineering room the way that I want to. Um, and no shots to the guy that I took over for. It's just, he and I have different philosophies as far as what the classroom looks like. And then once you're in an actual trade area that is expanded greatly because not only it's not just like, you know, I like this calculator over this calculator. I like these textbooks over these textbooks. It's like, I have all these machines that are 20 years old that are taking up space that I don't know how to use. And so it's trying to decide if it's worth my time to learn how to use said machine or just scrap it and try and move on. Um, and so there's a lot of, a lot of time that needs to be spent just sitting and theorizing about what I want to do with my curriculum. And so that in itself itself is actually a bit more rejuvenating, um, and so that's, that's kind of where I've chosen to have a bit of a workaholic lifestyle. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, my, the way that I really rejuvenate is by being around other people. And so I'm very, very, as, as kind of like shy and awkward as I can be on first introductions, I'm very outgoing in the fact that I really enjoy the presence of other people. I enjoy conversation. I enjoy learning about what other people do what they're up to um which just kind of eats into like my sleeping as well as uh exercise and eating healthy so that's kind of where your guys's first episode has kind of helped me reconsider spending some time to actually sit and have a good meal or go for a walk or um hence why i'm able to listen to your podcast. Cause now I have 30 minutes of just like walking around and <laughs> yeah, listening to well, that's awesome. on my phone. So, um, but it's just, it's kind of, it's one of those things where I have really high expectations of what I provide for my students. And the only way to do that is just sitting down and doing it. Yeah. And then on top of that, I've also come across some really cool opportunities. Um, I'm currently taking a three credit non-degree seeking grad class um, about one of the CAD softwares that I want to use. Um, so we ended up using, oh, what CAD software? We used Autodesk, yeah, right? Autodesk, yeah. Adrian? Yeah. Yep, yep. So yep, yep. I've now learned Autodesk. I've also learned Autodesk Inventor. I've learned Fusion 360. I've also learned SolidWorks. And now I'm learning this all online CAD software called OnShape. Mm-hmm. And so this is a class on OnShape. On top of that, I also had another fellow coworker who approached me saying that he wanted to start 
an esports club through Special Olympics uh, Bozeman. Oh, and amazing. so we are piloting the first uh, Special Olympics esports program in the state. And um, so that's been a lot of time and research and working with students. Um, and then on top of the other daily things, you know, with grading and making sure that the shops are in good condition, they're clean, tools are organized, um, it just takes time. Yeah, yeah. But I suppose that's where you get an element of satisfaction as well. So that is kind of yeah, that's awesome. thing you, isn't it? You know, in a way. So. And I also think that these classes help people learn about, like, like you're saying, cleaning things and making sure, you know, it's just like a whole part of life. You have to clean things to make things work well and then you, to get better it's products. Like ethos, yeah, it? it's yeah. like, and that sounds awesome about the the e esports as well. That, yeah, yeah. I, we'll definitely have to talk about that as well because that sounds. I mean, I love esports. Yeah, I'm a huge, yeah. But I, also, I, just with the Special Olympics and stuff, that sounds like a great project. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So maybe yeah, we'll I could spend an hour talking about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll definitely have you on again. Um, yeah, this is awesome, Carl. I I'm, I hate to cut us off, but yeah, we can only um. Can only get so much. We in. can only get so much in in a, yeah. in a, in a right. podcast, but right. No, this is yeah. Have uh, fun editing. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> thanks. You know, Doctor Davis taught us a lot of those kind of things. Like I did it with them, um, uh, just those little podcast things, and then we did like in the in our um, in our course, we just did so many different things, like you said. But he's it sounds like Carl's really taking it and running with it. And- yeah, mate, Carl, it's, I'm mm-hmm. fa- absolutely fascinated. I'm mean, like, thank you so much for for showing us all that. And yeah, just, yeah, of course. It's, uh, um, it's really if you guys. If you guys ever get out of out of uh, lockdown in New Zealand, you're more than welcome to do a guest spot uh, yeah. podcast in Bozeman if you want. Yeah, well, amazing. Yeah, well, I want to well, we were talking about doing that when yeah. we come back because I'm hoping to come back for Christmas for my graduation, but uh, and then they would like to come skiing and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, so yeah. it'd be cool oh, if yeah. we could all yeah get get there because they never you've never been to America. Right? Never been. No, never, no, yeah. So. Yeah. So we'll definitely Montana, try to get try yeah try to get together and look at the beautiful Bozeman and beautiful I mean, I've Montana. Heard so much about it now. Yeah, I he does like... listen. Oh man, it was so good to chat with you again. It's always great to chat with people like once a week, and it's just yeah. I it adds up. I, you don't have many hours in the day. And it's like it's like you said, like chatting to people and learning different things. Like this is really this has been so amazing for us because we're you know we're meeting so many different people each week and doing this. It's just. And um, it's a purpose, like we're yeah. right. We're doing this talk so we can have a purpose and and learn something rather than if you just came over, Carl. We would talk about this, I'm sure, but uh, we're also would talk about the Packers and the Seahawks, <laughs> and you know, we we just we go down a bunch of rabbit holes where this is more rabbit holes of learning yeah. of and Something just yeah, about, yeah. Isn't it? yeah so. So. no, thank you so much for your time. And it's just really yeah. really appreciate and it, I'll, and and also it's yeah. spring break, so we really appreciate you uh, taking yeah, time yeah, yeah. to do this. Well. I was in Orlando for the last week of school before spring break. So this is kind of like the, the post vacation break that I need. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> caught up on like grades and everything else. Yeah, also yeah, check yeah. my, my credit card statement and realize I spent too much at the Lego store and that. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not a problem. It's, I had a, I had a blast. Henry, it was a pleasure meeting you, man. Yeah. Lovely to meet you too. And I uh, look forward to our, our next encounter. Yeah, well, definitely, you're definitely going to be another guest. You're definitely uh, You've got so much more. Time. Like you said, you're you're a beautiful face, Carl, but um, you also have a great voice for radio. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. And go cats! Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, go All right cats Carl. Indeed, see you yeah. later, Carl. I'll see you soon. Yeah. Bye. All right.
And wow, that was awesome. Those those forklifts. Oh wait, it's not a forklift. Was it's it? not a forklift. I mean, unbelievable. The the equipment that he has at his disposable is insane. Yeah. Can you imagine? I mean, you went there. So was it? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm just I'm blown away and staggered by what they had and what they've got on offer for those those students. Like, yeah. it's, it's unbelievable. And it um, makes me want to you know second guess my choice as a career because wow. Yeah. Yeah. Man, they get it hands-on. They're always active doing things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, talking about building an engine, single combustion engines. Yeah. They're also doing photography. We talked about, uh, what else? Did 3D we talk? printing. 3D printing. Woodwork. Oh, man, it was just so cool. So cool to have those aspects for those those learners and stuff. And right? we're going to have Carl back on later yeah, on. Because we're going to have way more people that come on to talk about different uh, pathways for not just the college-educated people, but also um, trades and different... Um, aspects of uh being a mechanic or a yeah. woodworker or just giving those people the option for those so we're, we're gonna have carl back on uh hour and a half was just not long enough no i know i know it seems crazy doesn't it that it went on so long um but yeah i mean any any if you guys have any questions about that or or if you're unsure about if there's anything in your area just uh feel free to email us or you know you can i'm sure you can search things up and, and try and find out some information that way similarly um we also talked about you know adhd and stuff like that and if you've got any questions around that or anything that you're unsure about you want clarification from please feel free to email in um i was really really blown away by his honesty and his yeah there, which is, i mean which i'm is loving great, how so. much honesty there's people are bringing to this show it's yeah really yeah good. absolutely um no it's lovely and we, we really hope you guys enjoy it and and take on board as much as we have and yeah um and that was awesome yeah thanks again carl and i uh, hope you yep. guys enjoyed it have a great day goodbye goodbye go cats edited by adrian swenson and henry godkin music produced by adrian swenson and free sound from david renda on f-e-s-l-i-y-a-n studios.com as it is free sound and downloadable by all but thank you very much for producing some of the music that i've mixed with all of the other stuff